Well, we're continuing our series today in the book of Mark, and all of us have something inside of us called a worldview. Now, what is a worldview? A worldview is kind of like a framework through which we see life. It's like a grid of convictions. It's like a framework of, of values, assumptions about life, and ideology that affects everything you do. Whether it's what we see or what we say, how we use our time, how we use our money, how we relate to people. Everybody has a worldview, and that worldview influences and affects everything that you do. Now, for some, their worldview is very haphazard. It's inconsistent, doesn't make sense, it's contradictory. A lot of people have that kind of worldview. Others have a worldview that is thoughtful, that is thought through, that is not inconsistent, yet it is coherent in what, what it says about life. I believe, as you might imagine, that a biblical worldview is the most coherent, m the clearest, and the best worldview for anybody to have. Any worldview, good worldview, must be able to answer four key questions. Every worldview has to answer these questions. Here they are. Origin, destiny, meaning, and morality. Origin, where do we come from? Every worldview needs to answer that question. Destiny, what happens after death? Every worldview needs to have an answer to that, a coherent answer. Meaning, what is the meaning of life? What's our purpose for being here? And morality, what is right and what is wrong? Now, today I'm going to deal directly with two of these, meaning and morality, on a very controversial subject. I recognize it's controversial. On what, what uh, does a person's worldview, or should a person's worldview, say about life, the sanctity of life, the value of human life, whether preborn or old age or someone who's a uh, infirm or someone who is sick, someone who is mentally ill, uh, what does or should a worldview say? Well, here's the title today, what the scriptures say about the value of human life. And this is controversial because here in Canada, we're pretty much worldwide, Canadian culture and government policy favors abortion and favors medically assisted suicide. Just, I'm not making this up. A biblical view, however, stands in stark contrast to an embracing of those, of those views. Now, my guess is, since you're in church today, probably, probably most of you have, you know, somewhat or have a strong worldview. Uh, and so this, I think, is a friendly audience. However, not all of you may embrace a, a biblical worldview, and I, re I respect that. I'm glad you're here today. I really am. All I ask is that you hear me out during these next 30, 35 minutes. And then you draw your conclusion. You know, nobody can make you think what you're supposed to think. You, you have to choose yourself. And although we live in a world that does not embrace a biblical worldview, I hope that you will embrace a biblical worldview because I think it's best. There are many reasons why I think it's best. It's good for society. And if you don't, here's what I would ask. That you rethink about your worldview. And ask yourself, how does your worldview answer those questions? And how consistent is your worldview in answering those questions? And just in general, how consistent is your worldview overall? Now, before I get into the meat of this subject, I want to say right now to any of you who may have had an abortion, encouraged an abortion, encouraged someone to uh, accept medically uh, assisted suicide, which is legal here in Canada, I just want to say God's grace extends to all of us, no matter our prior decisions. 
That's the beautiful thing about God's grace. It supersedes all of any, any sin we could commit. Now, we'll see in Scripture in a little bit that taking a human life is God's prerogative. It's not ours. And when we ever, whenever we usurp God's prerogative, the Bible calls that sin. If you have usurped God's prerogative in those areas, understand that God's grace is bigger than your sin or my sins. So, let me say up front too, I can't answer every question. I got 35 minutes. No way I can answer every question. There are, there, are, there are not answers to every question, let me say. So, hopefully you'll have a realistic expectation. I'm going to give you a little acronym that will give you some practical steps on what you can do to, you know, encourage a biblical worldview. And here's today's big idea. If you embrace a biblical worldview, you will value all human life, including the preborn, the disabled, the mentally ill, and the elderly. Now, here's the direction we're going to go the next few minutes. You can learn about current Canadian law on this subject. We're going to view scriptures on the value of human life, what the Bible says about these things, because a biblical review comes from what? The Bible. <laughs> You're going to understand the scriptures meaning just briefly, and then know what you could do next to help. So let's start with this. The abortion law. What is the current abortion law in Canada? Here is where the abortion law stands in Canada. There is no law restricting abortion in Canada. There is none. So what does that mean? That means that a, a woman can, uh, in her pregnancy, can take the life of her baby anytime during the pregnancy, right up to the point where the baby is actually being born but has not yet fully left her body or taken the first breath. Now, I'm not making this up, folks. <laughs> I'm really not. You can do your own research and you can see this. A lawyer who is, really understands all this has helped me craft some of the things that I'm saying. He even said this, and I just want to read this. It's, it's like, really? Some lower courts have actually ruled that a mother is excused from taking her baby's life after it is born. Depending on the circumstances, such as how close the ending of the life is to the time of the actual birth, the mother's mental state at the time of the birth, or surrounding circumstances present in the mother's life, etc. Now, when we step outside of abortion, what does Canada say about life outside of, you know, someone who has been, been born? Several years ago, uh, the Canadian government established a law called MADE. Now, when you think of the word MADE, what do you think of? I, I tell you what I think of. I think of someone, I think of it as a noble profession, hard workers. When you go to a hotel, guess who just cleaned up your room? Maid service. And when you need more towels or soap, who brings it to you? Maid service. So I, I see the word maid in a very positive way. I think most of us would too. However, the government has taken this word, co-opted this innocuous word, and now what made stands for is this, medical assistance in dying. And there's no other way to get around this but to describe made as government-sanctioned and encouraged suicide. No, no matter how you parse it, no matter how you try to flip words and change words, this is what it is, okay? Again, I'm not making this up, okay? I'm telling you what it is. And if you, many of you are in the medical profession, my understanding is if you, to get your degree, whether an MD or a nurse, nurse practitioner, any of those kind of degrees, that you're taught how to broach made with people that are, you know, want to potentially use it. 
Now, to expand upon this a bit, from the government website, you can go there and see for yourself. Uh, a person can request made whose death is reasonably foreseen. That is, they are terminal and probably they're going to die soon. Or, or not reasonably foreseen that, and this is new, that is, they have some physical disease that can't be cured but will not lead to imminent death, yet is causing them to suffer. Such a person can request made. This is the law. Stipulations for made are these. The request must be in writing for the witness who medical professionals must assess that some physical problem is causing suffering and the person requesting suicide help must be notified that they can withdraw the request at any time. Now, let me expand upon this a bit. Currently, I'm not making this up. The government has put a hold on a passage of a law that will allow made to be used in the case of mental illness. Someone who is depressed. Someone who is dealing uh, with anxiety. These, uh, this, is, uh, uh, this addition to, to made has been put on hold. And as my lawyer friend said, in the future, uh, this very well could be uh, put into law depending on the prevailing political winds. The irony of all this thing is, uh, Bell, which is one of the, service, the uh, cell phone service providers, uh, has these amazing commercials. Have you seen them about mental illness? Hey, who has seen them? I'm just curious. Okay, several of you. They're powerful. They're like one-minute commercials, and it's someone who is facing a very difficult situation in life or something happened, and they're, they're, they're just briefly talking about mental illness, that we need to talk about mental illness. We need to help people. So incredibly powerful. And what a contrast. Like, in fact, I think it was last night I was watching something, and it showed a woman, she was sitting on her bed, and she was holding, I don't know, a blanket or something, and her little storyline was mental illness can cause some people to take their lives. And she was struggling with that. Like, what a contrast to what the, gov the official government sanction, uh, statements are now. Let me add one more thing here. Not only that, but there is a parliamentary committee presently studying the feasibility of allowing minors to obtain made with or without parental consent. Let that sink in. I'm not making this up. I cannot think of a word. I cannot go to my thesaurus to get a word that would describe my disgust that is even being considered. Or maybe I just, maybe I'm not a smart person. I don't know. This is the current political climate in which we live. My lawyer friend noted, I can foresee the time when people will be able to work with the doctors to have elderly relatives made subject to made without the elderly person's consent due to the subjective determination of the relative slash doctor about the elderly person's failing quality of life based on health and or economic circumstances. Now, you may be thinking, come on, Charles, you're just trying to play with our emotions. Well, I hope I am connecting with you emotionally. Or, Charles, you're just, you're just overplaying this. Come on, now. It's, not, it's not that bad. It's not going to get that bad. Well, two years ago, the made law was revised. And two years ago, here's what happened. This is March 17, 2021. That's like two years ago. It stripped the 10-day waiting period that had been the law. It stripped the requirement for a second independent verification of a request for a maid. It stripped the requirement that a patient expressly reaffirm his or her consent to maid immediately prior to receiving the lethal injection. 
all of these changes made it easier for the government to encourage a person to take their own life. And let's go outside of Canada. Just, I think maybe a couple of weeks ago, I'm just going to show you a picture. You read the headline. I don't, I, I, I could find her name, but I didn't pick her name. But basically another picture showed a picture of this woman. She was like, there was a building behind her and she was, she was, like, she was like this. She was just like, like that. Okay. Someone saw her, reported her. The police came to her and asked, were you praying in regard to abortion? Because she's pro-life. She said, well, yeah, I think I may, I may have been praying in my mind. And she was arrested. The irony is, the abortion clinic wasn't even open. This is the world in which we live, guys, okay? Now, in the U.S., uh, well, first of all, you can see where the political and cultural winds are blowing. You can see where they're blowing. In the U.S., uh, a few months ago, uh, they struck down Roe versus Wade, which was like carte blanche to uh, abortion in the U.S., sent it to the states, and many states now are uh, creating abortion laws that allows the mother to take her baby's life up to, uh, up to birth. Assisted suicide, approval of assisted suicide has not reached that level in the states. Canada's kind of like the, uh, the lead on that. If that's, you know. So what am I telegraphing here? Don't stick your head in the, in the sand. This is real. This is what's happening. I am not making this up. I've said that several times. I'm not making this up. There will be, unless God brings revival or God's people rise up, the, the prevailing governmental and cultural climate will continue to threaten not only the unborn and the elderly, the infirm, those with mental illness, and those with disabilities as well. Now, that was a somewhat long and strong and strident introduction, I recognize, but I wanted to lay the groundwork. So, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture today, and then some others as well. So, if you want to get your Bibles, turn to Mark 5, 21 through 43. So, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read it. I'm not going to break it apart in detail, make some comments about it, and then let that be a springboard to other scriptures that speak more directly to this whole thing of the value of human life. So that we'll end up with a basic skeleton of a biblical uh, worldview when it comes to this issue. So uh, if you would stand and you can just listen along as I read, or you can follow along in your phone app or your scripture. Mark 5, 21 through 43. Okay. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came up. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So you can imagine this, this big, massive crowd kind of following along as Jesus made his way. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of from him. 
He turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now, he knew, but this is you know, a learning point for, for him and the people around him. You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. What a beautiful, tender moment in the life of Jesus. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of the Jairus. Remember, Jairus' daughter was dying. Synagogue ruler, your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly for this little girl. She died. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead but asleep, but they laughed at him. Now, he's not saying like, she's not like sleepy, sleepy like this. He was saying that I'm going to, she's, she's uh, sleeping in death. In fact, uh, Luke makes it very, very clear that she was dead, Okay. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. All right, you can have a seat. Powerful, beautiful, beautiful glimpse into the life of Jesus. Well, this passage clearly shows how Jesus used life. He celebrates it. He honors it. This woman who had been sick for a long time, spent a lot of money, the doctors couldn't help her, and she touched him, and Jesus healed her. He, instead of ending her suffering by taking her life, which he could have, he ended her suffering by giving her health. And this little girl who died, instead of leaving that little girl dead, what did he do? He raised her from the dead. Jesus celebrates life. He affirms life. Now, I said this would be a springboard. It is because there's only so much time I have. But I want to go to some other scriptures that also reinforce, just like we see Jesus, Jesus valued human life. I want to show you some of the scriptures that are very important for us to look at. And I'm going to build for you a, a six-point biblical worldview on this subject. So here's the first thing. God made us in his image, therefore, everyone. Now, now what does everyone mean? Everyone. <laughs> therefore, everyone has what? Intrinsic value. That is, their value lies outside of their performance and what they do. Here's what Genesis 1 says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Key word I want you to see here is image. Image. We are made in the image of God. Now, granted, this is somewhat of a challenging concept. We're not made little gods. You're not a little God, I'm not a little God. God is God and we are not. That's not what it means at all. Rather, we, we have, there's this likeness to God because of he created us. We have dominion over his creation. We, have, we can think and we can feel and we can create. Uh, we have a built-in sense of right and wrong and we have a soul. Now, I love what John Piper says. He says, while all those things are true, he describes the image of God in this way. John Piper's a theologian, a former pastor. He says, images are created to image. 
if you create an image, if you make a sculpture of someone, you do it to display something about that person. That well, makes sense. So then he says, God created us in his image so that we could, would display or reflect or communicate who he is, how great he is, and what he is like. So I think that's a beautiful explanation of what it means to be created in God's image. Therefore, you and I, all human beings, have intrinsic value. Our value is not based on our utility or our usefulness or our benefit to society. Neither is it based on some subjective threshold that somebody in a room, whether medical personnel or politicians, decide is an acceptable quality of life. Human worth does not fluctuate with the level of perceived usefulness of a person to society or the degree of suffering they're experiencing for human worth is grounded in what? Say it with me. The image of God. So a child, a disabled person, an elderly person is no less made in the image of God than some pristine, beautiful young body made in his image. Therefore, we have intrinsic value. That's one part of a biblical worldview. Here's second. God created human beings as the apex, the high point, the crown of his creation. Psalm 8. Go back and read Psalm 8. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. He says, you, God, made him, that is mankind, men and women, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Genesis also talks about this. In other words, we don't have absolute autonomy over our own lives, but we are to be stewards of this incredibly created, valued life God has given us. The lives of all humans, both their own and others, are to be cherished and guarded because we have been made as the pinnacle, the apex, the highest point of his creation. So we've been created as, as the high point of his creation. Number three. Life begins at conception. Again, we're building a biblical worldview. King David wrote in the Psalms of personhood beginning while that person is in the womb and clearly teaches that God forms a new person before birth, not during or after birth. Here's what he said in Psalm 139. For you, that is God, you created my most inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My is a personal pronoun. I praise you because I, personal pronoun, am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. He goes on to say, my frame, my body and my mother's womb, was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place in her womb. When I was conceived, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. Speaking about being in the womb of his mother. Job writes about God giving us life. He says, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. The book of Genesis tells us that life began when God shaped Adam in his own image and breathed in him the breath of life. Here's what he says. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. Now, what's the point here? This life is transmitted from generation to generation in an unbroken chain that links Adam and Eve with every child that is conceived in the mother's womb. The developing unborn baby is a human life just as surely as a fully developed adult is. Did you know that you can detect a heartbeat of an unborn baby about 18 to 20 days? 
after conception. And at 40 days, you can detect brain activity. And there's a whole lot more detail. It's just amazing. Jesus was considered a person at conception. Not a piece of flesh, but a person. Here's what the scriptures say in Matthew. But after he, that is Joseph, had considered divorcing Mary because of this like, you got pregnant, how? An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You see, all physical life continues, starts at conception, continues all the way up to the grave. And just because you are old and don't have the quality of life you once had, you know, as you get older, you don't. You get more creaky bone and all that kind of stuff. It does not diminish your value, uh, your worth before God. In fact, I love how the scripture puts how we should honor seniors. Now, I'm not a senior adult today, you know. I'm waiting till like, man, I'm 80, then I can call myself a senior. But listen to what the scripture says. It says, do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. It's an interesting in the West. We, we, we don't honor elders as so much uh, as is done in the East. And the Asian culture especially honors elders. Here's another one from Leviticus. Rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. It's interesting how we tie two things together. Reverence for God is tied to respect for the elderly. Isn't that interesting? So life begins at conception and continues all the way up to the grave. Here's the fourth part of the worldview we're building. Jesus commands us to help relieve the suffering of others. If you look in, if you were to go to Matthew 25, Jesus describes one of the important visible qualities of a true follower of Jesus. He talks about in the the end when when there's this kind of, the the wheat and the shaft are separated for the true believers and non-believers. He said one of the things that a true believer will evidence is a real care and concern for the least, the last, the lost, the orphan, the poor, the suffering. One of the indicators of a person who really is in love with Jesus and is following him is that you have a real compassion for those who are hurting and suffering and can't take care of themselves and not just a feeling, but that you're doing something about it. And what Jesus says, when we care for the least, the last, the lost, the marginalized, the poor, the sick, the hungry, the orphan, guess what we're doing when we care for them? Here's what he says. I tell you the truth that when whatever you did for one of the least of these Brothers of mine, you did it for who? And who is me? Jesus. <laughs> Do you see, when we care for the marginalized, at least the last, the orphan, the broken, the hurting, the mentally ill, and we care for them, we tangibly care for them, it's like we're serving Jesus. Wow. That puts every scintilla of service we do to others in a brand new context. When by our actions we value human life through caring for the suffering, we're serving Jesus. Here's the fifth component of a worldview. Only God has the prerogative to give and take life because our bodies belong to him. Deuteronomy 32 says this. See now that I myself am he. This is God. There is no God beside me. I put to death. And I bring to life. 
It's God's prerogative when it's our time to go. Then, 1 Corinthians 6 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And here's the key phrase I want you to see. You are not your own. You see, death's going to come to all of us. It just is. We're all going to die, okay? It's the way it is. But only God has the right to determine when that actually is. It is his prerogative when our life comes to an end because our bodies don't belong to us. They belong to him. Now, I want to acknowledge right out of the gate here, well, kind of a little beyond the gate, that tragedy and suffering raises a lot of questions. Am I preaching these past nine and a half years? I hope I've been honest with you that Suffering is. Tragedy is. You know, the mom says she's driving home from, from Costco. She gets uh, hit by a drunk guy. She l- loses uh, all movement. She becomes paraplegic for the rest of her life. And the drunk guy doesn't even have a scratch. We have questions. Why did that happen? Why God? You know what? God's not afraid of our questions. Sometimes we have to ask those kind of questions. There are questions that are unanswered about suffering. Nobody can answer. As a matter of fact, if God did answer those questions, I don't think we have the capacity with, on this side of heaven to really understand them. So I'm not minimizing the fact that bad stuff happens. But when that happens, we need to trust his heart when we don't see his hand. Trust his heart when we don't see his hand. Only God has a prerogative to give and take life. Number six. While we must not marginalize or ignore suffering we must recognize that God can redeem it. This is one of the things that really separates Christianity from many other faiths. God redeems suffering. Suffering is real. More faith won't make suffering go away. We live in a broken world that suffers. We are part of that world. We are not immune. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're not immune to that brokenness and that suffering. However, we don't approach suffering with a fatalism, like whatever will be, will be, or denial, or stoicism. You just gut it out. But here's what the Apostle Paul wrote. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of what? Of compassion. And the God of all what? Comfort. Who does what? He comforts us. That's you and me and all our troubles. One of the beautiful things God does, and one of the beautiful things about grace is this, is that when we're suffering, when we're hurting, God is there for us to encourage us and walk with us. Not necessarily going to just wipe it away, but it's going to be there for us. So this is incredible promise that God's going to be there for us in our suffering. But you know what? There's also a second thing that happens. And that's where the verse continues. Look what it says. He says, so that... We can comfort those in any trouble with what? The comfort we have ourselves received from God. You've heard the old phrase, you don't know what I'm going through unless you've walked in my shoes. This is kind of the idea. When we go through suffering and we experience God's grace and he helps us walk through that, my, oh my, he is equipping us to be able to help those who are suffering. As I've shared with you, our daughter Tiffany was diagnosed stage one with a brain tumor. Um, We've been in hospitals all around the U.S. and Canada. And when we hear of someone who has a child that is sick, we get it. We, we understand because we've been there. So you see, uh, oh yeah, I just saw this book. I, I never read the book, but it, was, but it was in my library. The title was really good. And the title says it all. The title goes like this. 
Don't waste your sorrows. Paul Bilheimer was the author. Don't waste your sorrows. Now, Paul also wrote in Romans when he said, not only so, but we also rejoice, rejoice because of our sufferings. Oh, did I read that right? Oh, yeah, I didn't read that right, did I? We don't rejoice for our sufferings. We rejoice in them. We're not masochists. We're not called to be masochists. Oh, this is so great that I'm suffering. No, that's not what he's saying. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know something. Because suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. You see, God is in the business of redeeming our suffering. We should never end human suffering by taking a human life so that their suffering will end by taking their life. By the way, also palliative and pain management has come a long way in helping uh, people deal with these end-of-life uh, challenges. Now, although suffering in itself is not good, but rather a result of living in a fallen world, which we all live in, suffering has redemptive purposes in our lives. Hardships of various kinds can deepen our awareness of the frailty of human life and our mortality, can help us disengage from the things of life, can lead us to depend more on God, can help us cherish more meaningfully God's grace and his mercy. So, a biblical worldview on the sacredness of human life, six components. The first one was, God made us in his image, thus we have intrinsic value, regardless of our usefulness to others. God created human beings as the crown or the apex of his creation. Life begins at conception. Jesus commands us to help relieve the suffering of others. Don't stand idly by. Only God has the prerogative to give and take life because our bodies belong to him. Finally, while we must not marginalize or ignore suffering, must recognize that God can indeed redeem it. So that's the what. The second question is, so what? What, what can we do? Well, let me make a suggestion for you. I have this little acronym, L-I-F-E. Say that with me, life. So playing on the word life. I want to give you four simple suggestions on how you can make a difference. How, how, what might be a way to respond to this message today? L stands for Learn how to serve the least of these. Learn how to serve the least of these. I've got some specific suggestions here. You can volunteer at our local London Pregnancy and Family Support Center. Lori Betha has a, I think right out here, an incredible uh, display about the services they offer, how you can help with your resources, your time, and your, your money. Check that out. Call nursing homes and say, hey, I'd like to volunteer. How can I help volunteer and help, these, help, help you serve these elderly people? Call mission services. Call the Salvation Army. Say, hey, how, how can I help, help uh, you in your, in your ministry? Uh, we have shut-ins here at West Park. Maybe you need to be on that team to regularly visit them. Call the church office. We'll get you connected to the right people. Learn about mental health issues. Remember the Bell commercials I was talking about? Learn about mental health issues. Doesn't mean you become a mental health counselor. Well, you may be, but one of the greatest things you can learn to do, anybody can learn to do, is this. Learn to be a redemptive listener. Learn to be a redemptive listener. Did you know one of the most powerful tools in a counselor-counselee relationship is that when that person coming in with brokenness and hurt feels really heard? You can do that without going to 
school to, for training. Learn how to be a good listener. Know the resources available. We have several Christian counselors in our church. Call the church. We can make those connections for you. So learn how to serve the least of these. I stands for intercede and pray. You know, uh, I've explained the, the cultural winds, but I just want to r- remind everybody here that although the cultural winds are anything but in the direction of a biblical worldview, we have hope because one day Jesus says, I'm coming back. And when I come back, I'm going to get rid of all sin and sorrow and pain and tears. And I'm going to make everything right. So we have that hope that he's coming again, but we live in a broken world in the meantime. And prayer does change people's hearts. Pray for government officials to see that a biblical worldview it's not just this narrow, don't do this, don't do that, but it's a worldview that is good for society as a whole. Pray for the right people to get elected. Pray for those that may be considering made, that they were reconsidered. God can change hearts. Pray for those that are considering an abortion. God can change hearts. So learn how to serve the least of these. Intercede and pray. The next one, F stands for fight for those who can't fight for themselves. I love this verse in Proverbs 31. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. The reality is, guys, the slippery slope is real. I'm not trying to, you know, overstate it. I am trying to help you get an emotional connection to it. It's real. We have to stand up for life with your time, with your money, with whom we elect, with letters and calls to government officials. And recognize, folks, recognize this. We went through Revelation, and one of the themes was it's going to get worse (laughs) until Jesus comes. And I'm not being fatalistic on this, but it, it just is. There may be a time where the stories we hear, like, you know, the woman in the UK that she was arrested because she was praying at an abortion clinic, may become your story. Because you stood up for biblical value. And because you stood up for biblical value, you were lost a job, penalized in different ways. It's coming. But again, I want to remind you that God's grace will help us deal with that. Even though when we stand for what is right and we suffer because of it, Jesus says, you know, I'm with you. I'm coming again to make all things right. So learn how to serve the least of these. Intercede and pray. Fight for those who can't fight for themselves. And finally, E. This is really important. Engage in gracious and kind conversations with others who hold different views about the value of human life. And let me say again, you may be here and you have a totally different view. I thank you for being here. Thank you for listening so well. But you, some of you guys, uh, gals may have friends or family members that are, uh, don't embrace the biblical worldview at all. Understand that you have great stuff here. You got some ammunition. But you don't pull out your ammunition with a shotgun. <laughs> You, you talk and you converse with grace and understanding because everybody comes from different backgrounds. It's important. Uh, and by the way, if you want to go online, uh, this, this is being videoed, so you can re- re- uh, review that. Also, the whole text of what I've shared is available for download. So you can kind of get that in your mind so you can remember some of these things. Well, let me say, a culture that abandons babies in the womb, abandons those who are sick and mentally ill, abandons those who are old and infirm, does not have a coherent, consistent, thorough answer to the question of suffering, meaning of life, and eternal destiny. Only a Christian worldview does. So don't be afraid to have those conversations. You, you aren't, you aren't uh, uh, basing your beliefs on 
you know, something ethereal out there. You're basing your belief on God's word, but also on, some, on, on, on a faith, on a worldview that is thoughtful and coherent. And I want to share a, a quote with you from a, a pastor in Singapore that I'm going to pray. He kind of summarizes what I've said here. Here's the quote. So he says, the value and dignity of human life is derived from God, the creator, and is rooted in the fact that we've all been created in God's image. See, we're stewards, and we're to uphold the sanctity of life from conception to the grave. Ending someone's life in order to relieve suffering or inconvenience is not only unjustifiable, it violates God's clearly defined moral order. In the final part of his quote, suffering should not bring us to end life prematurely, but to entrust ourselves more completely to the faithful God we serve, no matter what befalls us or befalls those whom we love. So my question is this, what is God prompting you to do in response to this message? I gave this little acronym, LIFE. Learn how to serve the least of these. Intercede and pray. Fight for those who can't fight for themselves. Engage in gracious and kind conversations with others. I want to pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just want to acknowledge that a biblical worldview is clear on the value you have placed in human life from conception all the way uh, to the grave whether a person is physically ill or mentally ill or limited in other ways, you valued those people because, uh, intrinsically because they're made in your image. Lord, help us to really stand on that and believe that. And Lord, for the person struggling here this morning that maybe is in a different, has different beliefs, I pray that you will prompt them and encourage them to consider what I've said today. I pray, Lord, for... Uh, Maybe some that are here in this building that are considering an abortion, that they would consider not aborting that child. I pray, Lord, for some that may be here in this room that are considering uh, a maid, a physician-assisted suicide, that they would reconsider that. And Lord, I pray that this body called West Park Church would be redemptive in conversation, would be redemptive in our behavior, would be redemptive in the use of our time, would be redemptive in the use of our money so that we might lift up the incredible value of human life from conception all the way to the grave. We pray this in your name. Amen.